and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, September 11, 2022, from the Book of Philippians. I'm doing a thing right now where it's just kind of like taking the, the all the, like, you know, the New Testament's made up of um, different things, just like a various things but a big part of it is letters that were that um letters that different people wrote to other people and a lot of them were letters that the that like paul who was like the first missionary wrote to different communities of christians or friends or people that he knew and that's a big part of what the new testament is and i i just i don't know i got the idea a couple of months ago just like what if you just take like every sunday just like okay so the letter to the colossians what is it about? The letter to Second Timothy, what's it about? So just like one week on each one of the different letters. And last time I did on the letter to the Philippians, but um, I'm going to do another one on that one because I just, well, I just want to take another swing at it. So anyway, so this Philippians chapter one, it says, I think Paul said in, in chapter, in verse three I, of chapter one, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your fellowship, your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is gonna carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all of you, because ever because I have you in my heart, because ever, whether in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And I can testify, God can testify how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can be able to discern what matters, like what is really important, and that you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of, no, of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, help us to understand these words. They're so, so, so beautiful, and they meant so much to him. And um, I just ask you to help us to understand the connection there and um, why he felt this way about them, that he might feel, to think that he would feel this way about us, it would be the most beautiful thing about us. Help us to get this in Jesus' name, amen. So there's like one thing I really, I kind of really love is um, to read like historical letters that people wrote like in history and stuff. So Abraham Lincoln though, he, um, he used to write, so he used to write letters to people and if he really, really got upset with someone, he would write him a letter. He would sit down and write him a letter and just let it all out. And then he would call them his hot letters. And then he would put them in a drawer called unsigned and unsent. And he didn't send them. And uh, so there was one. Well, so he wrote this one to George Meade, who George Meade was the commander of the Union forces at Gettysburg. And he like beat Robert E. Lee. But then he didn't follow him. Like he let Robert E. Lee get across the Rappahannock and get away. And so. Abraham Lincoln wrote in this letter, it was a big long letter, but at the end, it was to General George Meade. I am, he said, my dear general, I do not believe that you appreciate the magnitude of the misfortune 
involved in Lee's escape. He was within your easy grasp. And to have closed upon him would, in connection with our other late successes, have ended this war. As it is, the war will be prolonged indefinitely. And your golden opportunity is gone. And I am distressed immeasurably because of it. And then he never signed it. And he never sent it. And it was his... It was one of his hot letters. And like some of Paul's letters were kind of like hot letters. Like what, you know, And because I, I thought about like his letter to the Galatians. And like, what if he had just said, I'm not going to sign this and I'm not going to send it, you know, because he said a lot of stuff. And I think the Holy Spirit would have said to him, son, so inspiration means I made sure you wrote down every exact word that I wanted you to put in this. And so you need to send it. But, but, there, were, but there were others, like there are letters that are so sweet there was a letter that Theodore Gessel got, who um, from two brothers, and they, and they, he, that was he was Dr. Seuss, and they asked him to change the name of the villain in that Christmas story he wrote. He said because people every Christmas always hassle us. Signed, David and Bob Grinch. Richfield, New Jersey. And he, and he wrote it back and said, can't you understand that the Grinch is the hero at the end of the story? It's not how you start that counts. It's how you wind up at the end. And I thought that was super, super sweet. Okay, so here's this. This is my favorite letter of all letters. It was a girl named Ruth Brody, and she was uh, maybe like 12. And um, she wrote it to C.S. Lewis about a month before he died. And she was asking him if he was going to write any more of the Narnia books. And he said, many thanks for your kind letter. And it was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books. And what a very good letter you write for your age. If you, con if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope you will always do so. I'm so thankful you realized that the hidden story of the Narnia books, it's odd. Children nearly always get it. Adults hardly ever. I'm afraid the Narnia series has come to an end, and I'm sorry to tell you that you can expect no more. God bless you. I just thought that, that was so sweet. But anyway, like, I, I just feel like Paul's, like, some of his letters, like, his letter to the Philippians is just the sweetest. It's so, I mean, compared, I mean, I, I, you're not supposed to, like, you're really not supposed to have favorites and so of the Bible, because it's all in the Bible, so the book of Philippians is not my favorite. <laughs> it's... Call it something else, like favorite, but it's not my favorite. But I, it's just, it's just always helpful. But I just love just how sweet it is. But, and the thing about it is, like, so Paul was writing this one, and his letter to the Ephesians, and his letter to the Colossians, and his letter to Philemon, and he was in prison, and he was in prison in Rome, and it, it wasn't for selling drugs or anything. It was for trying to help people find peace. You know, it wasn't in there for smuggling. He was. I guess you could say he was trying to smuggle people from the domain of darkness into the, into the kingdom of God's beloved son. I mean, he was doing, he was in prison for doing what he considered the most important work. The, well, he it, it was the most important work in all the world. He said in another place, he said, I have been set aside from like before I was even born for this work. The word set aside, it's, it's, where we get, it's where we get the word horizon. It's kind of like a demarcation. It's just like, it's just like, if you see somebody on the horizon and they're coming towards you and they have a message, that's me. Like, I have a message to share. I'm like, I'm like Pheidippides. You know, like Pheidippides, he was the one who 
um, the reason a marathon is 26.2 miles and it's called a marathon is because he was the one sent from Marathon to Athens in like 440 BC or whatever to tell them that the Athenians had beaten the Persians in the Battle of Marathon, you know? So he runs 26.2 miles and gets there and like, you know, tells the message and drops dead. And I saw a um, cartoon one time and it was like Pheidippides and he had just gotten there to the king of Athens and he just got this crazy look on his face and he said, I forgot the message, but, I, but, 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 listen, but Paul is like, you know, I've got a message. I've got a message that everybody needs to hear. And it's like, my thing is to tell this message to everyone and you have to tell them. So, uh, people always, well, a lot of times you can hear where people say that St. Francis of Assisi said, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. St. Francis of Assisi never said that. That was attributed to him about two centuries after he was dead, and he also didn't believe it. He preached the gospel every day, but it was always with words because it takes words to understand it. It's a message that takes words. There was a one time when Paul, when Paul first went to Philippi, there was a certain point where there was a guy who was extremely upset. I mean, like he was super, super upset. And um, he actually had like a sword out and he was like, I can't really take this anymore. And, and he, but then he said to Paul, what do I, and Paul said, don't do that. And he said, what do I have to do to be saved? Like, what do I have to do? To, could you tell me what I have to do to be like you? And I remember one time there was a couple of guys who had come to our door and they were going to try to get me to dump my religion and join their religion, like on my doorstep, you know? And I said, so I said, okay, well, there's a place where there was a guy in the New Testament, he was super, super upset. And he said to Paul, what do I have to do to be saved? Let's say that's me. Like you caught me on a day, I'm super, super upset. Like, and, and I really wanna know how to be forgiven like of all my sins. And how can I know that I'm going to heaven and I'm really, really upset and this is your chance to tell me. So what would you tell me? Like, what is your message? And they were like, well, I'm like, it's not, not that simple. I mean, like, it's kind of a complicated question. And it's, just, and, um, but I mean, like, you have to repent, like, of all your sins and, like, never do them again. And you, then you have to, like, like, obey, like, all of God's, like, commandments and laws and stuff. And we've actually added some to those. So you got those also. And then you got to go, like, door to door and, like, sell these magazines. And in the end, you know, we see, and I'm just like, okay, I'm more upset than I was when I started talking to you. And I said, you know, that's not what he said. He's what Paul said. So this was the message that he gave. Do you have a second? I'll give it to you. And, and they said, whatever. And I said, so the message is, that the, the, but the message is that God loves everyone, that all, God loves everyone, but we have made a complete and total mess of this. And we've all done a million things and said a th million things and thought a million things that are wrong. We're totally guilty of it. And our heart is hopelessly polluted. And there's nothing that we can't pay for what we've done and we can't cleanse our own heart. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus was almighty God who came into our world, who became a human being, who lived a beautiful life, but he really came to die for us. And he died, and he bore all of the guilt of all the things that we've done, said, and thought. And he paid for all of it, and he rose from the dead. And he offers to whoever wants it a complete forgiveness. You could be forgiven right now of everything you've ever done, do, or will do in your life. And not only that, not only does he give you a new start, but he gives you a new heart. And he changes you, and he comes to live inside of you. And God the Father becomes your dad. You have a place in his family. And when you die, you have a place in his home forever. Forever, and it's a gift. You don't have to, all you have to do is just need it. You have to say, I need this, I want it, and take it. And one of them said, Come on, let's go. I mean, we're, we're just wasting our time. I'm like, 
time out. You came to my house on Sunday afternoon, and I'm wasting your time. But no, but I just like I just told you like the most important thing. And sometimes, you know, I know people say, you know, that little thing, that thing you just said, and the way you said it. You say it all the time that way, and I really do, and I do it on purpose because my hope is that it would sink maybe into someone's heart and into someone's mind so that if you ever get the opportunity to share it with someone, you'll know how to say it. People have said often, they say, I, it's, you shouldn't really reduce like the good news of Jesus to a formula. It's not really a formula like one, two, three, four, Except in the book of Romans, I know Paul did kind of present it that way. But if you look up how to do like CPR on someone, and they'll tell you, okay, so you need to do compressions, chest compressions, and you need to do them at a rate of about 100 to 120 per minute, and they need to go about two inches down. And after you do 30 of them, you need to stop, and you need to breathe into their, into their mouth for, for one second. And you need to do that two times. And then you need to do 30 more chest compressions. And somebody said, that's just a formula. I guess you could call it a formula if you want. It's actually how do you bring somebody back from the dead? And it's just the message of Jesus and presenting it to someone. It's how do you, how do you help a person come to spiritual life, from spiritual death. Although also when you look in like the, in the book of Acts, which is really Luke chapter, Luke volume two, like Luke wrote both of those. And it talks a lot about sharing the message and Paul sharing the message and other people sharing the message of Jesus because we are a people of a message. But it says in chapter eight, they shared the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Like that, that, that you could come into a kingdom where God the Father is king over all of it. And God the Father is just like God the Son. He's just like Jesus Christ. It says in chapter eight earlier, it says that they preached the good news of Jesus. In chapter four, it said that Philip preached the, um, the good news that Jesus was the Messiah, like that the one who is one day going to take over this world and be king of all the world is Jesus. The one who is going to rule this world is the sweetest and the most tender heart of all of all, of all, that he has the sweetest heart of everyone. If you could come into his kingdom, if you would come into his kingdom, it's the sweetest thing you could possibly do for yourself. In the Gospel of Luke, the first day Jesus the King spent in our world, he spent it with shepherds who were, who were really outcasts, but he included them. In chapter 4, the first sermon that he ever preached in his hometown. It almost got him pushed off a cliff. But he said that he had come to care for the oppressed and the poor. The first person he ever personally invited into the kingdom based on the shedding of his own blood in the moment that he was actually shedding that blood was a criminal who was nailed to a cross beside him, and he welcomed him. His kingdom is the kingdom of one who includes the outcast, 
that cares for the poor and the impressed and that welcomes criminals. This is his heart. And this is our message. You know, I remember on January the 1st, 19, 1990, T, uh, Tina and I went to, uh, no, 1980, uh, January 1st, 1980. I had been a Christian like a few years and we went away to seminary. I wanted to go to seminary. I just wanted to learn about Jesus. We went, we drove a 1963 Dodge Dart in a U-Haul van and one and a half kids and went to Winona Lake, Indiana, where when it snowed, back, back then when it snowed a lot, they didn't put it in the news. Like we had 124 inches of snow. We had a house and we, we rented a trailer in a trailer park where all the seminary students live. They called it the Fertile Crescent because everybody was like pregnant all the time. And, but they, and I was working in this grocery store, but they, so, but I didn't know anything about seminary. I didn't know what they taught there. I just wanted to learn, but I took a class in, in missionary studies by my professor, Dr. Wayne Beaver, and he had been a, a missionary in the Central African Republic for about 40 years. And, and we learned about countries where they didn't know about Jesus. And I was like, I didn't know they didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know they didn't know about Jesus in Uzbekistan. I didn't know they didn't know about Jesus in Algeria. I didn't know that like a half of a percent of the people in Austria really understand what it is to me to believe in Jesus. I didn't know that. I didn't know, I didn't know that it was like that. I didn't know people didn't know, even though Jesus told us to go. I didn't know they didn't know. And I started reading books about, um, about people who went to those places and um, people who had given their lives to go and people who had actually died for this. And that's just like, there are people like the, at, in the in 1900, in certain parts of Africa, when missionaries from the Great Britain and the United States went to those parts of Africa, they would pack their belongings in their coffin because one in two would need it within the first year. But, you know, they would just go. And I read about Jim Elliott and other people. And the spring after that, there was a young man named Chet Bitterman who was a missionary with um, Wycliffe Bible translators in Columbia. And he and his wife, and he had been captured by this radical group and held hostage. And we were all praying for Chet Bitterman. And in March, um, he was found shot to death in the back of a bus in Bogota. And I thought, people are giving their life for this, to take this message, because people need to hear this message. And I was taking another class in the book of Psalms. and, and um, and I remember, so I read the 90th Psalm in January of 1980, after hearing all this stuff and reading about the 90th Psalm and how Moses said, you know, God is like the eternal God, but he turns us back into dust. We're going to turn into dust one day. If Jesus doesn't come back, I'm going to be dead. And my body's going to be dust. And um, it's already happening, like in in most of our houses, 70% of the dust in your house is human cells. So, you know, when kids, when kids go back to school after, you know, fall break and they're no longer laying around the house, they kind of will be, but they, uh, but you know, and then, and then he said, and our, your life, he said, your life is extremely short. A thousand years on earth is like one day to God. So if you live to be a hundred years old, it's only two and a half hours and then it's over. And you can't really hold on to anything. So he says, teach us to count our days. He said, you get to be 70, maybe 80, but you can count on all things being equal. You can count on 70. Teach us to count our days. 
because you only get so many. And at the end of it, he said, and I want to live for something that matters. And I felt like I want to live for something that matters. At that time in January 1980, I had 21,745 days until I would be 70. Today, I have 696. You know, and so it's, these are the days I get. And I wanted to do something with it, and we wanted to do something with it. And it's like, what are we going to do? And so Tina and I, we, just, we were going to go like everywhere in the world, depending on what week it was. But, but Paul, because Paul said, what could matter more than that? What could matter more than sharing the message of Jesus with people? In Romans chapter 10, he said, he said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But how can people call on? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he said, how can people call on one they've never heard of? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? And apparently, like, people need to hear the message that we have. People need to hear it. And they can't hear it unless somebody tells them. And he said, how can they tell them unless they're sent? And it's like, you know, Paul would say, like, nothing matters more than this. Like, nothing matters more than sharing the message of, that people need to hear about how they could begin again and how they could have a new heart and how they could know Jesus and how they could know the love of Jesus. And they can't figure it out on their own and that nothing matters more in the world. It's the reason the world continues to turn is because people need to hear this message. And nothing matters more than, coming to, than getting to know people, just getting to know people and loving people and sharing with them and to know that we're not here we're not here to fight people. We're here to win people. And sometimes people that are involved in that stuff, they, um, that really, really care about sharing the message and they understand that this is what we're supposed to do, we're here to love. We're here to love people and share the message with them. And, they, and especially people like the people on our wall out there or people that are involved in Young Life that go here or leaders that are involved in Young Life that go here, that that's what they care about. It's what they wake up thinking about. And they think, does anybody care about this? Do other people care about this as much as I do? Do other people understand that we're here to love and we're here to share the love of Jesus because it would help to know that people care about it. Like when, so when we went to Italy, we, we, we oh golly, we, we lived in Milan, Italy, which was, I mean, we, I had never been to a place like that. It was just a gigantic city. It was as big as, as big as Oak Ridge, like from one end to the other, but it had two and a half million people in it. And our kids couldn't play in the playgrounds of their elementary school because there were syringes in the grass from heroin addicts who, they just, they would just throw their syringes every, there would be seven or nine syringes in our parking lot every morning, like a new one from people just doing that. And they were like, they would do like seven people on a syringe. So that most of them were HIV positive and they didn't want kids to step on those needles, you know, and there was a prostitute on every corner after seven o'clock at night. A couple of times, Tina, a few times we'd go out on our bikes in the evening and just stop and, you know, talk to them and, hey, we were just thinking about you out here working and it's cold and we just have something for you. And it was just a little flyer that talked about Jesus and they would always go, you're so sweet. I can't believe you're thinking of us. You know, it was just, it, but it was so wild living there 
But we started sharing the message of Jesus with people in, in, in ways that, you know, kind of crowds of people would listen to us share. And, they, and, and people were coming to know Jesus. There was a young kid, he was about 18, named Paolo, and he had done like everything in the world before he was 17. And then when he accepted Jesus, his parents threw him out of the house. They're like, you did this, you did this, you did this. You've been in jail for this, da, da, da. And now Jesus, okay, you're done. And they kicked him out. And there was a young man from Argentina who came to know Jesus um, he, he just saw a crowd of people and listened to the message and we got talking and um, he was kind of traveling the world. I bought two New Testaments in Spanish and we went 345 feet to the top of the Cathedral of Milano the next day and the day after that and talked about Jesus and he accepted Jesus there. There was another young man named Antonio and he was in the fashion design business. He had come from Sicily, which is the whole other end. And to be in the fashion design business had gotten disappointed and and the next and quit and the next day heard a group of people out on the street sharing a message about love and someone who loves you and just wants to love you and he accepted Jesus and so so all three of those guys got a little apartment in Via Pasadini so and lived together and one day we were sharing Jesus out on a Wednesday in in the main square of Milano and there was a young man who um listened. He was addicted to heroin and he was in the crowd and he listened. And he came forward to take a little book and he wanted to accept Jesus. And when Antonio saw him, they just hugged and they were childhood friends in Sicily. And he hadn't seen him since the days of his childhood. And those three guys took him into their apartment and for about two days, two and a half days, we kind of took turns helping him sweat and shake as he, de as he um, tried to get clean from the heroin in his system, and he did. And the sun came out, and they just, he was so sweet, and he was growing, and those guys were just welcoming him. And this kind of stuff was happening, and one day they came home, and he was gone, all their money was gone, and their stereo stuff was gone. And they weren't brokenhearted because they had lost their stuff. They were brokenhearted because they had lost their little brother. And that's the kind of stuff we were living. And we, right after that, we kind of, we came home to the States for our first like break after four years. And somebody came up to me and said, how, well, so how's old Italy doing? Um, do they have Pizza Hut over there? And I was just like, can I just say fine? Um, let's just don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Because you wanted to know that people, that people knew and that they cared about it. They cared about it like you cared about it. And uh, one night, we had, there was a woman in our, that she had come to know Jesus. She was about 55. We were, in, we were having our Bible study studying Romans and she stopped us. She said, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I just understood something. And I said, what? And she said, this is why you came here. I never knew that. I, I never understood why you people were here. You came here to tell us this. I just put that together. And I said, yeah. You don't expect people to understand that, but it's nice when they do. When we, when we got ready to leave, she came to the airport and she said, are you gonna talk about us to those churches you have? And I didn't tell her, but 
I had been talking about her for a long time, like to a lot of people. And she said, tell them we're here. She said, tell them that it worked. You know, and so the thing about Paul was that he was devoted to that and, and so just devoted to sharing the message. And we have people in this room that are devoted to sharing the message. They do things that some of us wouldn't think of ever doing because they want to know people and they want to love them and they want to share the message of Jesus with them. And it's like, do other people care about this? And, so, and the thing about the Philippians was they got it. Like Paul said, you get it. They had sent him money. They had sent him money over and over. And he said, nobody ever did but you. Nobody ever got it. But you, but you are, you're a part of this. You're on my team. You're un you understand that nothing matters more than sharing the love of Jesus with people. So you think, how do you get, so how do you get people to care more? And people who do care about it, how do you get them to care more about it? And how do you get more people to care about it? And Paul said, this is what I do. He said, I pray that your love will abound, that your love will abound in real knowledge and all discernment so that you will discern things that differ. It's a phrase that really means so that you'll know what's important. I pray that you would be filled with love. I pray that you would just be filled with love for you people, just people, like just knowing people. And as one of my heroes, Brian Stevenson says, you have to get proximate, like you have to, you have to know people. I didn't know anything really about inmates in prison. I didn't know, I didn't think much about it, but I didn't know much about it. And now after 10 years, like the, a lot of us, the gushiest and the mushiest letters we write are support letters for people that are going up for parole. And we just say, this person is amazing. This person loves Jesus. The world will be a sunnier place with them in it, you know? And it's just like getting to know people and just getting to know people and learning to love them and learning to some, and, and, and not to fight them, but to win them. Sometimes, I, you know, I've heard people say, my practice is to um, love the sinner and hate their sin. And okay, I often feel like sometimes saying, when you say that, you might want to, that second part, you don't really need to practice that anymore. Like, um, kind of got that. Um, why don't we just practice loving? And you know that thing about loving the sinner? Why don't we tweak that a little bit? What about just loving human beings? What about just loving people? Because they're in the image of God and they need Jesus. And if you squint, and try to imagine what would this person be like if they loved Jesus, you know in your heart they would be amazing. Some, I mean, it might be that he was praying that just their love, like that love, just your love for Jesus, like your love for Jesus, his love inside of you, the fact that you have someone so kind and so sweet who loves you, who's forgiven you of everything, what if that just welled up and welled up and welled up inside of you, that, that the love of God in your heart, and it would just spill out for everyone, and so that you would want to know people, and you would want to care for them, and you would want to share the most beautiful thing you know with them, and you would want to be on the team of everybody else that 
did that and you would like be on a worldwide team of people who believe in this and who believe in loving people and sharing the message of Jesus with people because the love of Jesus is so filled up your heart. So I have a friend, um, named, his name is Steve Chesney. He's the regional director of Young Life in, in, um, in Tennessee. He's about to retire. Um, but one time, he, so he sent this letter um, to a lot of us that are on his prayer team. And he said, you know, I got a call the other day from a girl I never didn't know. Her name was Holly. And she said, I just am calling to bless you. Um, because she, it turned out she was the executive founder and vice president of a mission in Zambia. And they had built 65 beautiful homes for 700 kids in Zambia orphans and kids on the street and kids that were high risk and kids that were HIV positive. And they had uh, schools and clubs that reached out to 7,000 kids a week in Zambia. And every summer they had summer camps that were kind of like Young Life camps. And they were, they were reaching 14,000 kids a week. But she said, um, when I was 14, my dad left my mom and we were all alone, we, my, my three siblings. I was having to help pay my mom, help her pay our bills with my babysitting money. And somebody paid for me to go to Frontier Ranch. And you were the speaker there. And I had saved all of my money. And I had $30. And I bought a sweatshirt that said Young Life on it, Frontier Ranch. And then when you did that night, where you were gonna tell people about Jesus and send them out in the dark. And you had said to bring something warm because it might be chilly and we were gonna sit out in the dark. And you told us about Jesus. And I had never heard anything like it. I had never heard of a love like that. And I went out there and it wasn't quite as cold as you said, but I took my sweatshirt and I opened my heart to Jesus. And I was so excited that I just left and I left my sweatshirt there and I lost it. And I went back in the morning when I thought about it, and it was gone. And that afternoon, Steve said, I have no memory of this. But that afternoon, I was in the store, and you were in there. And you said, are you looking for a sweatshirt? And I said, no, I'm just, I had one. But last night, I lost it. Um, and so I'm just looking. And he said, maybe he heard a little bit the quiver in her voice. And he said, why don't you just pick one? I got 30 bucks I don't need. And he said, I have spent the best $30 in my entire life. And I got her a sweatshirt. And she said, I took it back to where my dorm where I was staying. And God said to my heart, see, honey, I got you. I'm, I'm your dad now. I'm going to take care of you. And she said, and that love began to grow until it became what I do. We're about to take communion and... Um, it's where we remember love. It's where we remember how much we're loved. And um, as we take the bread of the body of Jesus, which was broken for us, and the blood that was shed um, for us, it was shed for love. And that, that, and as we take it, that the gratitude that we feel for this, that we've been forgiven of all of our sins, that if you need a new start today, you can have it. Because 
that his blood was shed for you because he loved you that much, that that gratitude would just swell and swell and swell and turn into an overflowing love that would overflow your heart and overflow your boundaries and overflow your world and overflow into other people's lives. And you would begin to see them with love and see them the way Jesus sees them. I guess I feel like um, there's a world around us that needs us to take this bread and take this cup today and be filled with thankfulness that will mean love for them. So you don't have to be a member here or anything like that. All, all we ask is that you know in your heart that you believe in Jesus. And if you've never believed in him, can I tell you something? It's a gift. Um, it's free. You just have to tell him. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't want to stand up. You just have to tell him in your heart, I need it. I want it. Would you give it to me? And he will. You could do it right now and then come up and take this if you want. But won't you come? Jesus, lover of my soul, let me fly, let me fly. Wild up. Near waters roll While the tent Is still as high Hide me, oh my Savior, hide Till the storm of life is past Safe into the
Let me fly.